So, con is this weekend. Mm-hmm. Are you excited? Well, considering we failed to burn the place down three separate times during that last con we got to go back and try again. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> it was February. It was so cold. All of the cosplayers were in their skimpy little outfits, including myself, standing out in the freezing cold, just waiting for them to let us go back inside the center. Uh, I was with our friend, uh, friend of the podcast, JJ, and we actually were playing poker. And we were all like, what do we do about our chips? And, and, there's, and the woman who was running is just like, just keep, like, have an idea of what you have. And just no one touched each other's chips. I mean, it wasn't like that many people. It was maybe like two tables filled, maybe. So it wasn't like a lot of people. But we're all like, we're, let's all just be nice. And Did your like looting instincts come up for like a hot second? And just like want to scrape them all into your pocket and run? Uh, no, because I straight up told people to come back in too early at one point. I remember that. And then uh then watched, they all kicked us out again. Yeah, and then watched the security guards for the convention and the security guards for the convention center have it like have a like argument a very loud argument. It was like I walked by it as I was going back into the poker play or the the room with the poker and I'm like, yeah, I don't think we're gonna stay in here for very long. And the people are like, what? Why? And I'm like, I just Passed by an argument, and uh, I think we're gonna go right back out. Sure enough, like a minute later, it someone walked in. in. Yeah, you guys need to go back out. out. So, but apparently there was actually a fire too. Apparently, but besides that, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yes, I'm excited because we are going to be doing a panel. We are going to be uh, talking about how to podcast because you know we're experts. We are professionals. Hashtag professionals. Not even not just professionals. Hashtag professionals. We're not just good. We're good enough. And we're going to tell you all about how we podcast and all the little tips and tricks that we can share with you, uh, which mainly involve uh, yes and and don't do a hit. As long as you follow <laughs> those two rules, you should have a great podcast. And, uh, you know, try not to be a jerk during your podcast and <laughs> and everything. Like, we're very excited to be coming back because we did it last year. Uh, we had applied for it after, right after the deadline. And the people were like, hey, we may still have room for you. Let us get back to you. And then we never heard back. But they certainly did have room for us, which we found out the night before our panel. Or even the morning of because it the, was the super very, late. very early morning of. But now we have like a whole week's worth of time to get ready, so we're definitely yeah. going to oh, yeah. be we're all totally. set up. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're totally prepared, you guys. No, it should be fun. So if you're coming to Conuga this Presence Day weekend, we're going to be doing the Saturday morning panel at 11 o'clock. So you think you want a podcast? Yeah, um, you'll find it in the Events Knee ad or application. And uh, you'll be able to look through each day. As far as I know, the you can't save uh, events or uh, people or tracks or anything like that, yeah. which does stink a little bit. But you can still find us on the schedule because we're the only event that I've seen so far that it says event colon. So you're thinking a podcast type. It has to be us. <laughs> yeah, it, it has could to be, be It could be no one else. I have been thinking about doing the thing because everyone uses the app, but sometimes the internet doesn't work and sometimes it crashes. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about doing that thing where usually when you go to a convention, they print out all the events you've signed up for and stick it to the back of your card 
your badge. Oh. So then you just like look like, oh, and that's where I'm going. That's what I'm doing. So I've been thinking about doing that this year. That's good. Like when we do Dragon Con, we have like that that map that hangs on the back of our uh, our badges. So that's not a bad idea at all. Maybe we can get some sort of like sticker thing that we could put on the back and like what what are we doing each day kind of thing i'm a big fan of organization you know this about me yes i also know that you're elizabeth and i know you're aaron and, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea welcome everyone and happy valentine's day oh my god Yay. Yay. uh you are listening to us obviously record this before valentine's day so i have no <laughs> idea the surprise that aaron has planned for me but i will say from the past I'm sure it was absolutely lovely. <laughs> Surprise is even. Uh, Ooh, yeah, multiple. 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 Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Married to the Idea. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if you enjoy listening to us, please consider giving us a share or a like or subscribing to the channel. We try to upload every so often. <laughs> uh, whenever we have something fun to talk about. And uh, since it is our Valentine's Day episode... Uh, Aaron picked one of his favorite movies, one of his favorite romantic movies for us to talk about today. We're going to get into some spoilery stuff, so we highly recommend that if you haven't before, please turn this off and go watch Penelope. Yes, this movie that came out in 2006 um, has always kind of stuck in my mind because uh, I really enjoyed the story overall. I liked the acting. I thought it was well done even back when I first watched it. Um, sometimes in the, sometime in the, the aughts, uh, but the, it was, I enjoyed it because I thought it was a good representation of a modern fairy tale. Now, Aaron, explain to me your definition of a modern fairy tale, because it could have a couple different meanings. Yeah, thank you. Um, there is uh, a few different ways you could look at that, uh, or at the term modern fairy tale. My particular definition would definitely be Um, A fairy tale that is told in a modern setting, not necessarily just a remake, not just Cinderella or not El Enchanted. What's the one with Hilary Duff? Uh, A Cinderella story. Yeah, not just a Cinderella story, though that could kind of be considered in this vein. I'm meaning a newer or new-ish story that is then told in a modern setting um now i will say that as far as literature goes we've got a plethora because right around the early 2000s tons of writers were doing twists on classic fairy tales most of them being but what if it took place in modern time which i don't think it clearly was very popular but i don't think that's the most interesting thing you can do i think penelope does a more interesting idea of the quote-unquote modern fairy tale and that it's a brand new fairy tale that follows fairy tale logic while existing within our own time. And even then, the time for this movie is a bit ambiguous. Yeah, it I like that It plays around too. with perspective and magic. And I, it's, it's hard to say, quite honestly. And I think that is part of a fairy tale. That it has a timeless quality. Or that it's anchored so thoroughly in a so far back time that it is timeless. It's not trying to be modern, hip or fresh. Which I feel like so many of those... Remakes were. Uh, Vivian Van Veld, I love you, but she was the purveyor of most of those. Uh, What if Red Riding Hood, but modern times? Yeah, the the cinders of our world. Uh, But I've always liked a good, fresh fairy tale. And, you know, I mean, I, I started out, my first book was writing my take on an existing fairy tale. But my second book that I'm working on is not based on any existent property, but just the idea of magic 
as a whole, how could that affect a world, and letting our characters inform the story as opposed to we know that these are the things they have to do. Um, and personally, I think these modern fairy tales definitely need some sort of fantastical element. Oh, yeah. This one has just the smallest dose of it, but it, it, it uses it sparingly but effectively. And I think that is a, a good use overall of it. So I think simplicity could be a hallmark of a fairy tale. A simple story doesn't mean that it's a bad story. It's that it follows its own logic the entire way it commits to the bit. Maybe it's the plot is simple, but the story is more complex it, or surface That's why level. it gets retold so many times. They are simple plots so people can like go hog wild with the characters. Yeah, kind of like Scooby-Doo or Batman or TMNT. You know, they this is the same story that has been told a few different ways and by a few different, you know, minds, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. But, um, yeah, I, I, I very much agree with that, Liz. And um, this story is pretty simple. Um, it is about a uh, affluent family who gets cursed when one of the family members uh, falls in love with and uh, impregnates a uh, servant girl who then, uh, when he has to reject her because of his family, um, her mother, the, the girl, um, after she, unfortunately, you know, uh, unalives herself they uh, do that in the first like two yeah. minutes of this movie yeah, and they, i had they, forgotten that when we rewatched it yeah it, they kind of play it off real quick too so but the, that fairy tale thing i mean like this is just backstory this is not in yeah. essential to the story you're about to hear yeah there's this weird old woman who's uh um making a 12 year old make a decision that he shouldn't have to make but it's okay because he becomes the beast yeah um but the the family is cursed by this girl's mother um, and uh, to say that the first girl born uh, from this point on will be cursed with a pig-like appearance um, until someone of her own kind accepts her for her true self. And um, in they think that they didn't actually get cursed because the girl is born and is not actually a part of the family the mother is but she's not blood related she's in it from the uh but guess what it was a affair baby <laughs> yeah they um and that's how we get penelope yes uh the titular uh main character for this story christina ricci so of course she's stunningly attractive despite the makeup they put on her and yet every single man who finally gets a chance to see her flings themselves out of windows which I did think was a callback to how the young girl killed herself by throwing herself off a cliff. Oh, you know, I never noticed. I didn't. There's a visual similarity in there. Yeah, I can see that. Um, But there is some, um, there is a lot of fun elements. There's, there is some silliness that they, they definitely, they do take themselves seriously, but not too much. And it's, it's nice to see because this is a story about, you know, acceptance and love and, you know, what it means to have one or the other or both. Um, and you have, like Liz said, Christina Ritchie as the main character. You have uh, Catherine O'Hara as her, um, as her mother. Uh, is it Catherine O'Hara? Yeah, Catherine O'Hara. Um, Catherine O'Hara as her mother, who Catherine O'Hara never turns in a bad performance. Oh, yeah. Um, and then you have Richard E. Grant as her father. Um, and I do really like the dynamic between Penelope and her father because it reminds me a lot of Elizabeth and her father. <laughs> uh, oh, we're we're sassing McSassertons when we get together. Exactly, and there's there's definitely a lot of sass between those two in the <laughs> movie. Um, and uh, after Penelope is born, 
um, she kind of gets secluded, a la like Rapunzel and um, uh, Elsa a little bit, to uh, hide away from the world so they don't laugh at her or make fun of her. Uh, and they are trying to find her a suitor after she comes of age, and so that way they can marry her and then the curse would be broken. Which is where we get handsome James McAvoy. Lay about London beachnik James McAvoy. Very aughts hairstyle and, and clothing styles. The the shaggy hair, the mm-hmm. very thin uh, facial hair. It's just like, oh my God, that's the 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 musicians and the actors. That was like that style. It's like the Beatles. Yeah, the the second coming of like the London invasion or the British invasion, <laughs> if you will. Um, and there's some uh, other really great characters. There's um, Peter Dinklage as a reporter who actually has a little bit of history with Penelope and her mother because whenever Penelope was first born, he tried to get a picture of her. Uh, but uh, the Catherine O'Hare's character like hits him with a hammer and like makes his eye fall out or something like that. <laughs> so very quickly explained. Um, and then there is the what as close to this movie can have an antagonist of a uh, an heir to like a firm of some sort. Yeah, he was the last person to try and marry Penelope before she showed herself, and he got disgusted and threw himself tried to throw himself out the window. But you know, shatterproof glass. We've accounted for all contingencies. Um, Who, I, like, has a legitimate fear of Penelope throughout I, this movie. And I, I honestly feel for Penelope in this because she's wrong but right. Uh, both her and her mother are wrong but right. She says, well, if they truly liked me, they wouldn't care about my appearance. And his mother's like, well, when you come at them from behind a door when they don't know what to expect, yeah, you're going to scare them. And yeah, I feel, a, door I, that, or a door that they didn't even know was there. Yeah, I feel it on both sides. I truly do. Uh... And to his credit, James McAvoy begins startled, but just for like a, like a second or three. And then he's like, okay, now I see you. I, I know who you are already. It's, it's going to be okay. And if not for a malfunctioning camera, it probably could have turned into something really nice. Um, yeah, there's a whole subplot about getting a picture of Penelope and proving um, Peter Dinklage's character and this other character right to the world that they saw what they saw. And... Uh, the the fact is, is that James McAvoy's character is hired to get this picture and he does a good job at charming her because all the other suitors actually like just like want the money. But he already got the money. He got paid to go do this gig. So yeah, he doesn't care. He's, he's already there. Yeah, he uh, he's just someone who's like trying to get a payday essentially or get another payday after the fact. And he uh, he does a good char- job at charming her and really is is well cast in this role he has enough aloofness where like it's not like he's trying too hard during these scenes but he definitely cares enough during the scenes well it's the month of love let's (laughs) talk relationship dynamics how do we feel about these two christina ricci and james mcavoy how do we feel about the relationship that we get to see on screen healthy not healthy it does not start healthy because she has a and, and, and unfortunately, it is a it is a symptom of being isolated for so long, and then not really wanting to have that acceptance because why should she have to change? Warped all of that war, dash warped view of people slash these suitors that are trying to marry her because at one point they gather like 
15 guys in the room and they're all like looking through these things. And then she like just comes in and like shotgun blasts them with her face. And, and they're all like, Oh my God. And run out and they all have NDAs and all that stuff. But the, uh, but James McAvoy's character also, he's too aloof at the beginning, but the growth that you see throughout the movie, they do become better people for each other. I think you were mentioning that, um, like right after we were watching it. Yeah. Um, so the thing that struck me a lot about this is that uh, this movie is very Pride and Prejudice, uh, or for true literary classics, uh, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's both these stories very, very well. Beyond surface level, um, both of our characters start with their own preconceived notions and hang-ups about what life is supposed to be and how people are going to react to them always. After meeting each other, they then split apart pretty instantaneously so for most of the movie we have penelope having her own character growth and james mcavoy having his own character growth and that's why i think his is like the best out of the film i really enjoy him having this chance encounter with a person and because of that realizing that he could be better in many things he could stop gambling for 24 hours a day. He could get back into the thing he loves, which is music. He could work hard to earn a living. He could become a better man. And then when he gets to encounter her again, he has already improved himself to the point that he is now ready for a relationship in a way that he wasn't, in a way that he knew he wasn't when he rejected her initial marriage proposal, which she made after realizing that he had been lying to her this whole time. And then that's how desperate she was for having uh, to, to make a change in her life. And, you know, he made the right call, not just for the curse reasons, but for, no, this is not a good way to start a relationship. And I like it because it's the same way how Lizzie and Darcy in Pride and Prejudice have to, like, make amends and do what's right, but they don't do it as a way to earn or tally points in their favor for their partner. It's, I just want to do something better because I know them. In the same way that Beauty and the Beast works, she's not his life coach trying to like get him to be a better person. He just realizes, I want to do something for her. I've never felt this way. And he improves himself and she responds in kind to that. So, you know, when you think about it, it there's, there's a little bit of some inspiration from other tales in Penelope. But I think it uses them correctly because I didn't even think about the Beauty and the Beast connection until this viewing. And I hadn't all those other times, even though that's pretty much what it is. It, it, it is. I think it's Beauty and the Beast with Pride and Prejudice and like um, uh, even like Rapunzel. Like there's some there. They maybe take like a core aspect, but then add a bunch of other aspects from other stories. And that's where I think the uniqueness kind of comes from because in essence, they're trying to tell the story of acceptance and love versus just a curse and a young girl, which sometimes that's where the people focus on. Mm -hmm. um, and we also, you know, as I've heard most recently for a story, it's not about where the relationship starts. It's where the relationship ends. Yeah. And even though it didn't start healthy, it ends healthy. And and that's I think that's the uh, the lasting impact of this movie why this movie should be higher regarded than it has been because it really shows two people after a pretty rocky start not only exploring themselves but trying to improve themselves to a point where they may actually be good for each other. They still do have feelings for each other at the end of the movie. It's also a bit of confirmation bias too. This uh, rich heir 
who is so concerned with taking Penelope down because she, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's because she startled him and he thought like, I got this in the bag, it's good. She shows her true self. He's like, no, you must be the one who's wrong. My reaction wasn't the wrong thing. You're the wrong thing. And he leans harder and harder into that as the movie progresses. Whereas Peter Dinklage, who starts from the same point of, I was wronged, I lost my eye, I need this story, I need this picture. When he actually does see Penelope in the pictures that she sells him to make money, that which is, is well, that so That is a cool good. part that she, like, she takes ownership of it. Yeah, and he's like, there are no fangs here. I see a girl. What have we been like? He like lets go of his revenge or his quest like instantaneously. Telling him like there's no fangs. There's it's, she's really nice. Like why are you guys so against her? You know yeah. he like he he even sees through the bullshit. Back, yeah, even paying back the money that he was given in the in the initially to get this picture. Like it's it's like it felt like blood money. Neither of them wanted it at that point. Like, yeah. We feel really dirty about how this all oh, went yeah. down. Oh yeah, because he comes in and he's like, "This is half of what I owe or what I took from you. I will have the other half soon." And like Peter Dinklage's character doesn't even like take it with his hands, and he like he just like takes a pen and he just kind of like pushes it away. Yeah, he's like, "I don't want to touch it." So, because um, you mentioned that um, James McAvoy's character was your favorite of the movie. Oh yeah, for all the list- for all the reasons I listed, I like his growth, and I think the movie really does a good job of trying to make it about both of their stories. And puts them both in places where they need escaping. One more literal, a literal house, but the other one more prison of your own making. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I really appreciate that. My uh, favorite character, I would say, is the the top of the the secondary characters, Peter Dinklage, because watching it this this next time, they actually show him. As like, I thought he was more villainous the first time I watched it, but watching it now, he's more like he's an observer and he helps kind of push things into different directions because he's the one that reveals that um, James McAvoy's character is not who they thought they was. So it was like, there's like two liar reveals almost. Yeah, but a liar reveal in like a good way. Yeah. It's like a puzzle box for the audience to, as they go back, see, oh yeah, we... We should have seen that. Why didn't we see it that way? Yeah, and it's the, like they, they have all the clues there. You just, they also kind of directed you slightly away from them, almost like sleight of hand or misdirection. Yeah. And the the funny thing is, is like I, I, watching it this most recent, uh, most recently, um, Peter Dinklage's character goes through such a lot of growth as well. Like both Penelope and James McAvoy's character have a lot of growth, but I see it with Peter Dinklage's character because he's not bitter when no. we see him again after the the flashback, but he is certainly like you can tell that this has scarred him in a way, and instead of like wanting to deepen the scar to keep it fresh and alive, he wants to heal. He want he even says it like this isn't about the girl. This is about proving. That I wasn't crazy back then. Because he's had to deal with years and years and decades of of people probably ribbing him. Like, oh yeah, kind of like that pig girl, huh? You know? And now he, he has the validation and he doesn't even print the pictures. Yeah. He, 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 or uh, the, the other guy does and he, he's an asshole about it. <laughs> and Peter Dinklage is just like, I don't, I don't agree with this anymore. And in fact, you kind of see a, a, a visual sign of his growth near the end of the movie because uh, Penelope tells the story, is telling the story to like these students with James McAvoy's character. And it doesn't say like, oh, and then they got married or, and then they lived happily ever after. It's just like, 
we are together. And that's that's what matters. And I, I like that. But we see Peter Dinklage's character in a boat nearby with a camera and he goes to take a picture of them and then he doesn't. He just kind of accepts that at one point in time people thought he was crazy and he moves on because uh, with, you know, probably the biggest spoiler, the curse is broken for Penelope's character because not because she gets married because they she almost gets married to the asshole who tries to prove her wrong the entire time because he has a social blunder where he says she belongs in a cage to a bunch of reporters who are like, like her now. <laughs> um, and you know, she offered to marry James McAvoy's character much earlier in the movie, but she literally runs out of the wedding and is running up to her room and, you know, tells her mom's like, I don't want to be accepted by anyone else. I like and accept myself. I like who I am. And then boom, the curse is broken because someone of her own kind including herself because the curse was not about her the the guy's family rejecting his love choice it was about him rejecting who he was because you even see it in that that telling of the, the in oh, yeah, the flashback he wanted to marry her and they all like laugh at him and he's like oh yeah right silly joke right that peer pressure yeah yeah exactly he allowed himself to get peer pressure because he didn't want to be cast out he didn't have the courage or the strength uh to do that and it and it, and it sucks that that's that kind of stuff still happens today but it, it shows that you need to love and accept yourself before you can love and accept other people mm-hmm. and and that's a tough thing for people to hear and that's well, something it proves that, that it's it's your own validation that sets you free. It's not exactly. the validation of others. That's why this movie still holds up. I mean, you know, 16 years later, this movie is now old enough to drive. <laughs> uh, 16 years later, that this movie, it, like, it does have a little bit of fault. Some of the editing can be weird at times. There's some weird effects. But honestly, be, beyond that, this movie needs to be talked about more. And I, I really think that there's some really fantastic performances. There's some really funny uh, visual gags, including um, Ma- James McAvoy's character. Uh, they thought his name was Max, and it actually ends up being Johnny. But um, Max is played by Nick Frost. And I noticed that this time, they didn't have this particular moment. And I'm really sad that they cut it out. Um, but there's a part where Peter Dinklage's character goes and finds the actual Max, and that's where he realizes that it wasn't James McAvoy's uh, pl- uh, character. And because he's talking to him in the prison cell and it's Nick Frost. And there's like this thing of like where they like are talking to each other on the phone. And like Peter Dinklage is like, thank you. You've been incredibly helpful, but not really. And Nick Frost's character goes, what? And then and Peter Dinklage just puts his hand on the uh, the glass and then he like motions with his head to the glass. And Nick Frost kind of like, all right. And he starts putting his hand and then Peter Dinklage flips him off. <laughs> <laughs> like Nick Frost is like what? And uh, they that would have been funny. It, I've used that. I, I see that gif all the time, and I love it dearly. I may may or may not post it on like Facebook. So, <laughs> um, but that is it's such a great, uh, just a great moment because it just shows a lot of humor with just a couple of seconds. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really good movie, and I think the reason why we like it so much is that it's different. In a way that there aren't a lot of movies like this, and I don't mean like copycats. I mean there aren't a lot of modern fairy tales, as per your idea. Um, so 
let's see if we can talk about, we each came up with an idea or two. I know there's some listicles out there. I found a list, Aaron found a list, and on them were a bunch of duds, to be quite honest. Yeah. So we're not going to bother with those. But I found one that wasn't on the list that you found. So let's talk about some that could be similar to Penelope in terms of this modern fairy tale. Do you want to just like, quickly like go through the duds no i okay. don't think it's even worth it all right yeah it's all right so you all know the bad fantasy movies out there the, yeah and i and i mean like the remakes of or like we will never have any disney remakes in this yeah, oh god no that that's yeah. just that's a fairy tale with modern mindsets it's regurgitation yeah and i don't and i and, and i per i personally think that dragging a fairy tale kicking and screaming into modern time to like fixed logical inconsistency is so antithetical to the nature of fairy tales that it renders the whole thing moot. And it's, this is the thing too, fairy tales were told as tales of caution a lot of times, especially like the grim fairy tales. Mm-hmm. They were told as ways to help sh- educate children without just telling them the cold heart's truths and also helping them to realize the truth themselves. I'm glad you brought up cautionary dark grim because that's exactly what I picked for mine. Oh, interesting. Yeah, not a lighthearted fairy tale, dark fairy tale. Yeah, I'm going to go through like just a couple and I'm going to talk about one specifically. Um, I, Pan's Labyrinth, I would actually consider to be a modern fairy tale, um, though it takes place in more of World War One, World War Two era. Um, but and it's thank still... you so much, Screen Rant, for having a picture of Pan as opposed to the Pale Man for that, because every time the Pale Man, I never see the Pale Man coming, but then his image will just show up in a video or on screen or something yeah. and I have night terrors all over again. Um, and, uh, I hope I'm not stealing these, but there are, you are not. Okay. Trust me. Uh, there's a couple of Miyazaki ones that are, uh, uh, studio cheaply films that are specifically like really good examples of modern fairy tales. Howl's moving castle, absolutely a modern fairy tale. And Liz had actually pointed this out, um, off air, uh, literary. There's a lot of literary examples. Like there was a book that they did make a movie adaptation with Freddie Highmore, and I can't remember the name of it, but he plays twins. Um, but there's like Inkheart, there's, uh, and, and and I am naming ones that did have movie adaptations, which obviously Howl's Moving Castle is also a movie adaptation as well. But there's a sense of wonder that you can get from the books that don't, don't always translate well into the movies. If you've read, if you've seen Howl's Moving Castle and haven't read the book, it's loosely based on, I highly recommend it. They're both excellent just in no way like each other. Yeah, and that's okay, honestly. Enough. It really is. Separate but equal. That's a good term, right? <laughs> uh, no, it's not. I, I apologize for using that. Uh, but also, like, Spirited Away, uh, that is more so like uh, an isekai um, type of story, but it's still kind of a fairy tale. I just watched a whole video about uh, the idea of Spirited Away, about how it was a comment on the hypercapitalism of Japan and then the subsequent economic downturn and how there was so much consuming, which is why the parents are turned into pigs. They consume and become that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the idea that there's a whole, it's even more prevalent today that hustle culture will set you free. It doesn't. It just gets you further indebted in making work your life and how our uh, Chiro is able to free herself not through hard work, but through spiritual exploration, which I think is just such a cool thing and such a such a Miyazaki thing to say. Uh, and, and yes, I so I, Miyazaki, so absolutely Miyazaki. Um, and then of course Penelope is on this list that I found. But I think the uh, one the best example from this list that isn't Penelope 
is the shape of water. And it's no coincidence that Guillermo del Toro shows up twice. No, not he at all. He does fairy tales. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he just did Pinocchio, and p- apparently... We apparently haven't, we it's haven't, great. We haven't seen it yet. I, puppets, not Muppets, puppets, marionettes freak oh. me out. <laughs> but you like stop motion, though. I love stop motion. It's stop motion, but oh, because of Pinocchio being An a actual marionette. marionette. Yeah, there's oh. there's something about it. There's a disconnect. It's that uncanny valley for me. No, I love stop motion because my pick is Coraline for a oh, modern fairy tale. Yeah, that is a good example because, like, I would put Paranorman more as like a like a horror movie. Yeah, that is that is really really good. It starts off beautiful and sweet, very Hansel and Gretel, and then the world becomes more and more dark and disturbing. Oh yeah! Again, following the logic, how she has to free the kids, save herself. It's uh, it's it's very good. Um, but I, I like think that a lot. I That's think a Shape of choice. Water um, and I think Coraline. They're both fantastic movies on their own. Uh, I think they fulfill the idea that you put positive of the modern fairy tale. I would say those are like the big three at the moment. Um, And obviously, if you have any um, choices that we did not discuss at all, please let us know in the comments. We love reading them. We love hearing about them. Yeah, you can do that on Facebook. We love to chit chat. Uh, SoundCloud also has a comment feature, too. You can comment at certain points of time in the Which is helpful because then we know what the hell you're talking about. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we know what the hell you're talking about. Um, If you're more into books like me, uh, (laughs) I'd recommend anything by Charles DeLint if you're into fantastical realism or magical realism, which is the genre that I work in and that I love to read the most. The idea that it's obviously not real, but could be, couldn't it? Yeah, and I like, um, I'm I'm a huge fan of Ian Colfer, um, though that fandom did wane a little bit after the movie came out and he heralded it as a great movie. What movie? We must learn from our sins. We must learn from our mistakes so we are not doomed to repeat them. Uh, but the book, the Artemis Fowl series, is still a really, really good series. I highly recommend it. And it, it is, it's more of like a fairy tale caper type thing. And a lot of those books have that kind of mindset. But if you want kind of like a modern day fantastical setting, that is a good amalgamation. I wouldn't call it a fairy tale. But I would definitely call it like magical in modern times. Because they do, they almost go like hyper- um, futuristic at times with like some of like their fairy technology, which is kind of cool. So mm. kind of James Bond esque in a way. Very much so. Uh, but thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we are excited uh, to be jumping back into the fray of recording. Um, we already know what we're going to do for our next episode, but if you guys have any suggestions, we're always taking suggestions from friends, family members, our listener, the you know. The Google Doc go, grows ever longer. Ever so long. The, the road goes ever on and on. <laughs> ever so hard. Um, I definitely said that wrong. Um, Whether you're celebrating Valentine's, Galentine's, or as my friend Mallory celebrates Malentine's, we <laughs> hope you have a lovely day. Yes, and if you are going to be attending uh, Con Nuga, we absolutely look forward to seeing you guys. Uh, Liz and I will be in cosplays throughout the entire weekend. Always. I'm considering a midday change. It's going to get wild. Oh, yeah. And we're, we're lucky because we're staying in the hotel. So, uh, But if you are not, but you're going to be in the Chattanooga area, you know, obviously maybe come say hi or something like that. Um, and uh, please, like Liz said earlier, like, subscribe, share. Um, love to keep hearing from more and more people. Um, and again, if you have any ideas or what your modern fairy tale example is, love to hear it. 
Um, but until next time, she's been Elizabeth. And he's been Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea.